0: Welcome to all those watching online, because I feel like we probably got a lot of people at home today uh, who didn't want to get out in the cold weather. So if you're watching online this morning, glad to have you with us. I know we have lots of people every week who watch online, as well as all of you who gather with us in this room. And it's great to be together. It's great. So thankful for Nino Elliott being here to lead us in worship this morning. Thank you, Nino, for leading us and encouraging us today in worship. So grateful for Sam leading us in communion. Great job as well. It's going to be a great day as we gather, as we continue this series and talk about this idea uh, that there is no God like our God, that quite simply, our God has no rival, he has no equal, forever and ever, he reigns supreme, he reigns sovereign, he alone is God, and once again today I think we'll see that revealed as we, as we look at scripture together in just a few moments. Um, I'm really excited my parents are here this morning. Uh, They drove all the way in from Alabama to join us uh, this weekend to be here uh, with our kids for Valentine's just for a little bit. When I was a kid growing up, one of the things that my dad and I liked to do together uh, was watch Western movies. Any any Western movies, you can confess this morning it's not anything to be ashamed of. Yeah, uh, they're not as popular now for whatever reason, but growing up when I was a kid, uh, they were really popular. It was a lot of fun because every good Western movie had a showdown, right? Uh, It it always happened the same way. It was the same storyline. You know, some guys in a saloon playing cards, another guy walks in, Uh, one guy makes the other guy mad, and they'd agree to, to meet out on the street where they step off. Women and children are peering out of windows behind closed doors for safety. All the men have lined the street because they want to see what's going to happen next. All of us watching the scene unfold on TV are sitting on the edge of our seats, you know, cheering for one guy or the other guy, hopefully cheering for the good guy because one guy is going to draw first. And the question is who's the fastest? Who's got the quickest draw? Who's going to shoot first? Is the other guy going to die or just be wounded? And we're all cheering. I'm not sure what that says about us. Uh, Cheering for the good guy. Although, is it really a good guy if he shoots somebody else? I don't know. Uh, Don't get too deep in the weeds on that. But, you know, this is is what we do because there's something about us that loves a good showdown, right? This is why last week, even though we didn't really care, you know, who won the Super Bowl, we're all watching because we love to see a good showdown. a showdown shows us, it proves who's the greatest, it's why right now a lot of us enjoy watching the Olympics when countries compete each, against each other and you see who's who's going to be the best, who's going to rise to the top. It's why we love some of the epic you know uh, sports movies of all time because, because inevitably one team you know rises to the top, they win against all odds. It's an underdog story or something happens, but there's a great showdown and somebody wins and there's a there, there's a victory, there's a victory that's incredible. We we love these kinds of moments and it's why we talk about. Who's the GOAT? You know what I'm talking about? Who's the GOAT? Me and my son Will last week were having this conversation about who's the GOAT. And if you don't know what the GOAT is, a GOAT, we're not talking about a literal GOAT. That's not what we're talking about. If you're confused, public service announcement. GOAT stands for the greatest of all time. And a lot of people think Tom Brady is the GOAT, right? The greatest of all time. And we're not like Tom Brady fans, but we're having this argument. Is he the GOAT? Is he not the GOAT? Who's the GOAT? Who's the greatest of all time? And what happens is when you get these people who are supposed to be the greatest of all time, in a showdown, you get to, you get to find out, right? You get to see who's going to rise to the top, who's going to win. And this is why, I mean, honestly, some of the most well-known, famous Bible stories of all time are the showdown stories. It's why the people that don't even come to church or believe in God, they know the stories of Moses Versus Pharaoh, right? The Exodus story. They know the showdown stories. They may even know the story of Gideon and his 300 men versus the Midianites and their thousands. They definitely know the story of David versus Goliath, right? It's the the ultimate epic showdown story. And it's why I think the story about Elijah versus Ahab grabs our attention. Because it's another one of these showdown moments. It's another one of these moments, these epic showdowns where we're going to find out who is the greatest, who's going to win, who's going to rise to the top. If you have your Bibles, if you're to open up to 1 Kings 18, we're going to look at that, at a story today where there is, I mean, truly one of the most epic showdown stories of all time in Scripture. Now, at this moment, we, we talked about this last week, but just to rewind the tape, uh, Elijah only shows up on the scene one chapter earlier in 1 Kings 17. He's literally a nobody at this moment in the story. God has called him out of obscurity to be his man, to be his prophet, to go have a confrontation with the most powerful man in Israel, the king, King Ahab, who, oh, by the way, is a terrible and wicked king. And now God is sending Elijah back to Ahab to have another confrontation. This is what happens in 1 Kings 18, verse 1. Later on in the third year of the drought... The Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. Now, we talked about this last week, but just to catch you up in case you weren't here, God had sent Elijah to Ahab the first time to tell him, Because of your wickedness, because of your disobedience, because you have not only lived in rebellion to God, but you've led the people of God away from God. I'm going to stop the rain. Not only am I going to stop the rain, I'm going to stop the dew. And for the next few years, there's going to be a severe drought and famine. And it's just going to be located to the precise place where Israel lives. And there will be no rain and there will be no dew because of your disobedience. And what God was doing through Elijah in that moment was he was keeping his promise to Israel he had made some 600 years ago through Moses. When God had said, hey, when you enter the promised land, the land that they were living in right now, as long as you love and serve me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you'll always have rain. You'll always have great harvest. You'll always have everything you need. But if you ever, for whatever reason, turn away from me, then I will turn off the water. And you will experience famine and drought. So God kept his promise to Israel. Why? It's really simple. There's nothing God won't do to get your attention and turn you back to himself. And in this moment, God is trying through Elijah, through proving that he's the God over all the earth, the God of nature, the the true God of water. He's going to turn that off so we can turn the people of God back to himself. And that's what he's doing here. But imagine you're Elijah. You've gone and you told Ahab this. It's been three years now. If you read the rest of first king 17 you find out that elijah's been in hiding these past three years why because ahab is literally searching every corner of the kingdom and if he finds elijah he's going to kill him in fact he and his wife jezebel have already been searching and even if they found any prophet of god they would put them to death In fact, at this exact moment in time, there are 100 prophets, literally 100 prophets of God, 50 each hiding in two different caves who are trying to hide out and escape the wrath of Ahab and Jezebel because they blame any prophet of God for the drought and the famine they're enduring right now. So if you're Elijah in this moment and God says, hey, it's been three years, but I need you to go back to Ahab, the the one guy who's looking to literally kill you if he finds you, what do you do if you're Elijah? I know what I would do. I would keep hiding. (laughs) But Elijah doesn't. Elijah is obedient to God regardless of the consequences. Regardless of what might happen, Elijah continues to live out his life in radical, faithful obedience to God. And this isn't the message today, but it makes me just pause and wonder just for a moment, what would it look like for you and me to live out our life in radical, faithful obedience to God Despite what might might happen. Despite the potential consequences. What what fear in your life right now is holding you back from being fully obedient to God? What amazes me about Elijah is that despite what might happen, he lives out his life in faithful obedience. So he goes back to Ahab. And in verse 17, he confronts Ahab and It says, when Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Now, what trouble has Elijah brought upon Israel? None. Nothing. Nada. I mean, this is literally a case where they're going to shoot the messenger, right? Elijah hasn't done anything wrong. He's just told Ahab that this is what's going to happen because you've been living your life in disobedience and rebellion to God. And because of that, God has brought a drought. God has brought a famine in an attempt to bring you back to himself. At any point over the last three years, you get this, right? Eli- Ahab, Jezebel could have turned back to God, could have repented, could have turned their, their worship back to God, but they didn't. And it's not uncommon. You know this. This is proved out in your own life, I'm sure. It's not uncommon for people who live in disobedience to God, who are living in the consequences of their own sin to point the f- finger at other people, Right? That's what, that's what Ahab's doing here. He's pointing his finger at Elijah saying, this is because of you. And Elijah sets him straight. And he says, no. Verse 18. He said, I've made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers. How bold is Elijah in this moment? For you refuse to obey the commands of the Lord. And you have worshipped the images of Bel and said, in other words, it's not me, Ahab. It's literally you. It's you and how you have chosen time and time again, despite every attempt of God to get your attention. It's your continued choice to live in disobedience to God that has brought Israel to this three-year drought and famine that you are experiencing today. And then Elijah proposes a way forward. He proposes maybe one of the most epic showdowns in all of Scripture and all of this. Verse 19, this is what Elijah says. He says, summon, he says, summon all of Israel, all right? I want you to fill the stands, fill the stadium. All of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel. And, oh, by the way, bring, bring with you the 450 prophets of Baal. Bring with you the 400 prophets of Asherah who were supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver, cobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But you know what? The people were completely silent. Elijah stands before all the people of Israel, 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah before King Ahab himself, and he says, like we talked about last week, you got to choose. You can't keep giving God part of your worship, Yahweh part of your worship, and turning to worship, Baal. You can't give, keep giving God part of your worship, Yahweh part of your worship, and turning to worship, Asherah. You can't keep worshiping multiple gods. You've got to choose, so choose today. I know you live in a both-and culture, but you serve an either-or God. And today you've got to make a choice about who you're going to worship because giving God, like we said last week, giving God your life means giving God all of your life. And I think, I don't know about you, I think this is just as relevant today as it's ever been. Because don't we also live in a both and culture? Don't we also live in a world where we're told over and over again, you can really do whatever you want? You can have whatever you want. You can make whatever decisions you want. You can do relationships however you want. You can do finances however you want. You can do life however you want. You can do marriage however you want. You can do your family however you want. And you can serve God. You can go after the American dream all you want. And you can be faithfully committed to Christ. We live in a both-hand culture, but we serve an either-or God. And Elijah sets up this epic showdown where he says let's let's do this because god doesn't want your divided devotion he wants your undivided attention god god doesn't want just more of you god wants all of you and as long as you keep trying to live in a both-hand world and serve an either or god you're going to find yourself living in a famine you're going to find yourself coming up empty you're going to find yourself wanting Because you serve an either-or God who doesn't want more of your life. He doesn't want more of your attention. He doesn't want more. He wants all. So Elijah sets up this either-or contest, this chance for one God to prove he's the real God. Verse 22, Elijah said to them, I'm the only prophet of the Lord who's left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces. So you go first, you get to choose, so there's no tricks here. Cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and I'll lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it either. Then call on the name of the Lord your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood, he is the true God. And all the people agreed. Great idea, Elijah. Two points, all right. So you've got Elijah, one man who serves exclusively one God, Yahweh, the one true God, versus the 450 prophets of Baal, who you remember, Baal is the storm god. He's the god of fresh water. He's the god who, oh, by the way, you're serving the god of water, but you're living in a three-year drought. That doesn't quite add up, and you still give your attention and devotion to him. But anyway, let's set up this contest Me and my God versus you, all of you, and your God, and let's see what happens. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first, for there are many of you. So choose one of the bulls and prepare it, and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. Remember, Baal is the storm god. Baal, the god that they're worshiping, this idol god, this false god, is the god of weather, the god of water. One strike of lightning could set this wood and this altar on fire. Should not be a problem. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar, and they called in the name of Baal from morning until noontime. So what, maybe four hours here? Shouting, O oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar, and they, they had made. About noontime Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is God. Perhaps he is daydreaming, or get this, or he is relieving himself. Or maybe he is away on a trip or asleep and needs uh, to, to be awakened. I'm convinced Elijah would have made a great college football fan, right? He has no problem talking smack to the other team. So they shouted louder. And following their normal custom, they cut themselves, get this, with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. They've been going at it what now? Eight, nine hours? I don't know. But still, there was no sound. There was no reply there was no response. Nothing. So Elijah decides it's his turn. Verse 30. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as they repaired, as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. And don't miss that. You may want to underline that. Because right here on this mountain, at one time, these people had gathered to give Yahweh their worship. But the altar that had been there to give God worship had fallen into disrepair, had fallen into ruin. And Elijah, in this moment, he doesn't build an altar from scratch. He rebuilds an already existing altar that had fallen into ruin. And in so doing, he, in that moment, is pointing the people back to the one true God. Verse 31, he took 12 stones one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons, and he he piled wood on the altar, and he cut the bull into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. And then he said, Fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and over the wood. After they had done all of this, he said, Do the same thing again, twice now. They've drenched it with water. And when they were finished, he said... Now, do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. Now let me ask you this, why in the world is Elijah insisting that they totally drench his altar, his sacrifice, the wood of the altar, the trench around the altar, and fill it with water? Especially, by the way, when they're in the middle of of the third year of a drought. Water is a precious commodity at this moment. And he's just pouring it over the altar Pouring it over the sacrifice, drenching it. He's raising the stakes, isn't he? He's giving their God, Bel, the God of water, a chance, one last chance to defeat Yahweh. Is he not? Maybe Bel couldn't send a lightning bolt from heaven and set their altar on fire, but maybe the God of fresh water can stop my God from burning up this sacrifice. Let's just see what happens here. He's gonna raise the stakes. I mean, he's just fast-forwarded the game to the fourth quarter, one second on the clock. Everybody's on the edge of their seats, waiting and watching. They've been out there now eight, nine, ten hours. Nothing's happened. King Ahab is over there in his box seats watching this contest, trying to see what's going to happen next. Elijah's got it all ready, and he's drenched it, giving their God the advantage. It's like he's, even, he's backed up his team to his own one-yard line to make it as, as difficult as humanly possible. There's no way this should even be feasible He's raised the stakes. Verse 36. At the usual time for offering the sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed. And I want you to listen to Elijah's prayer. Remember, the prophets of Baal had prayed for 8, nine, ten hours. I have no idea. On and on with no response. So just listen to the length of this prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel. And that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you have brought them back to yourself. What would that take? 30 seconds. Elijah says this one prayer. Crying out to the one true God. Before all the people who have gathered there. Everyone sitting on the edge of their seats. He prays, let me say it again, O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O oh Lord, answer me, answer me, so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Verse 38. After Elijah prayed, there was no reply of any kind. Ahab had his soldiers seize Elijah and take him back to Samaria where he would be executed by Queen Jezebel. That's not what actually happened. Some of you are like, what? If you know the story, if you're following along, that's not what happened. But that's what would have happened. If God wasn't God, that's what would have happened. If God wasn't real, that's exactly what would have happened. If Elijah had been giving God this both-and-worship and not his either-or worship, if, if Elijah hadn't been giving God his exclusive worship, that's what would have happened that day. If our God wasn't the kind of God who gives second chances, who, 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 who is full of love and mercy and compassion and grace, who is always working to call people back to himself, that's what would have happened. If our God is the kind of God that didn't answer prayer, that's exactly how the story would have ended that day. But that's not what happened. Here's what really happened. immediately, Elijah prays, immediately the fire of the Lord, get this, flashed down. Flash down? Maybe kind of like a, like a thunderbolt might have flashed down. Maybe kind of like a storm God would have done in this dramatic moment. I don't know. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust, It even licked up all the water in the trench. All the water is gone as well? You mean the God of water couldn't stop this God in this moment? He couldn't defeat the one true God in this epic showdown of all time? When all the people saw it, they fell face down to the ground. And they cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord, he is God. So get this. Elijah, whose name literally means my God is Yahweh. And this moment has pointed all the people to Yahweh. And when he prayed, and when God answered, all the people praised God. And all the people responded, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord, he is God. One of those Silly Western movies. My dad and I watched when I was growing up was a, an old 1970s cowboy movie called My Name is Nobody. I don't know if you probably have never heard of this movie. Uh, in it, the, the main guy, he's really funny, and I, I liked it as a kid. I haven't watched it in years, so, um, I, you know. But I remember his name was Nobody, and, and that's what he said. He said, My name is Nobody. And he, he went around and he was trying to prop up this other older uh, gunslinger who was a little bit more well known. And his motives weren't exactly pure because he wanted to be ultimately known as the greatest of all time. But, but I love the idea that in the movie he kept saying, my name is nobody, but he was working to make somebody else more famous. And I wonder if that shouldn't be true of us. You know, my name, my name is nobody, but my life is to make somebody else known. Elijah was literally nobody. He was from Tishbe in Gilead. Today, scholars today, they still have no idea where that is. They can't agree on it. Nobody knows where he came from. We don't know his background story. We don't know if he was the top of his class. We don't know if he came from a, a family of means or if he had an important title. We know nothing about this guy. He's a complete nobody. And in this moment, he wasn't trying to become the goat. He wasn't saying, look at me. He wasn't trying to be the greatest prophet of all time. Now in this moment, he was trying to point the people of God back to God. He was trying to make God known. And I just have to think, what if my life, what if your life had the same purpose? What if we lived to make God known, to know him and to make him known? What if, well, whose name are you living for? Just think about that for a minute. Whose name are you trying to make Great. Whose fame are you living for? Whose acclaim? Here's what I believe. I believe as long as you and I are living for our own fame and our own name and our own story, we'll never see fire fall from heaven. As long as you and I are living for our own name and our own fame and our own story, well, first of all, it's way too small a story to be a part of. Amen? Amen. I would, David said it best, I would rather be the the door holder in the house of my God for a moment than spend a thousand elsewhere, right? I don't know about you, but I would rather play the smallest part in the story of God than to be known by all the world. David prayed it, he said, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be all the glory and honor and praise. He didn't care if anybody ever knew his name, he was living for somebody else's name. Somebody else's fame. Jesus even said, he said, you can't serve two masters. you got to choose. This isn't a both-and situation. You serve an either-or God. So whose name, whose fame are you living for? As long as our devotion is divided, we will never see the power of God in our lives. And what I want to call you today, what I want to call us to today, is the same thing I think Elijah was trying to call the people of Israel to that day that we would strive to live to know God and to make Him known. That we would strive to know God and to point other people back to God. That this would be our purpose. That this would be our calling. That this would be our story. That you and I live in such a way that we strive every day to know God and give Him our exclusive worship, to give Him our undivided attention, to give Him our devotion. And then, in the situations and places and spaces where he puts us, that we would serve to make him known to those around us. I think God is looking for more people like Elijah. Who want to know him. And who want to make him known. Church, if you would, let's Let's stand. So who's the greatest of all time? I think God proved that day. I think God proved that day that he was, he was the goat. He is the goat, right? He is the greatest of all time. There literally is no other God like our God. Our God has no rival. He has no equal. Forever and ever he reigns alone. You can accept that. You can deny that. But it's, it's just true, right? But I know what some of you are probably thinking today. You're probably thinking, well, you know, I would believe in that God too if he sent fire from heaven today, you know? Like, I would believe, I would have that kind of faith if when I prayed, God answered immediately like he did for Elijah. You know what I think Elijah would say to us today if he were here today? He would say, really? Really? Like, you would believe in God if he sent a fireball from heaven for you? That's what it would take? You would believe? Like, you want a magic trick from God? That's what would help you believe? I think Elijah would say, you know what your God did for you? Like, all he did for me was he sent a lightning bolt and, and flames erupted. It was cool, but it was great, but it was, that's all it was. Let's set the record straight. You know what God did for you? You know what Elijah would say? God didn't send you fire from heaven. What God did for you, he sent his son from heaven. He sent you Jesus. And Jesus came from heaven to earth, and he walked the earth. He dwelled among us and he showed us what the kingdom of his Father is like and he taught us what the kingdom of God is like. And then, and it wasn't glorious, and maybe this is our problem because we love power, we love glory. It wasn't glorious because he went to a cross and he was completely humiliated. Scripture says he humbled himself on the cross and he died so that anyone who believes in him would have eternal You want fire from heaven? Man, God has given you so much more. He's given you a sign. I'm going to ask our elders and their wives to make their way around the room this morning. And If for whatever reason, you've been living for another reason, you've been living for another purpose, you've been giving other things your attention, God has not been at the center of your life. If you've not been living to know God and to make Him known, and you want to kind of get back on the right path today, these These men and women would love to just put their arms around you and just pray for you and usher you into God's presence. Um, For the rest of us, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to remember what God has done for you and what God is calling you to. That he wants to know you. That there is nothing he won't do to call you back to himself. And that he wants you to make him known to make him famous, to tell the world about his amazing love. And that love comes to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And there is no other name. It's Christ alone that we find our hope, our help, our strength, our life. Because our God, his son, Jesus, they have no rival. They have no equal. And they reign forever. He reigns forever as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And he wants to know you. And he wants you to help make him known. Let's sing.